Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 49. Are we buying or selling AT&T? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I'm joined with European DGI. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion for dividend growth investing with our own unique European flavor. If you're new to this channel, please hit the like button and subscribe to us, and check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify. See you on the inside. Good evening, European DJI. How are you on this Thursday afternoon? Well, really good. Um, I don't know uh, how it is for you, but this is the week of the Eurovision Song Festival. <laughs> so forget about investing. This is what unites Europeans. Uh, you know, a bunch of really, really bad music, but a lot of fun. It is actually one of my guilty pleasures. I, I love watching the Eurovision. I normally only watch the final this year, maybe the last couple of years, but I've, I've watched the semi-final on Tuesday. While this news about AT&T was flying about, I was watching the Eurovision um, and Ireland were in it. A little bit disappointed. I thought Ireland did, did well. Ukraine, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what kind of a song that was, but but I mean, that's what that's what I love about this. There's so many different cultures and, and they all come together and I haven't a clue what they're singing about or what they're doing. But it's just it's just amazing. It's it's I'm, I'm glad it's back. I missed it last year. Um, I'd like to see more of a crowd there because it's normally the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which is good. But yeah, no, it's 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 as I said, one of my, my guilty pleasures. Yeah, it's for me exactly the same. It's a tradition at home to watch it, uh, watch the finals. Usually during the week, I don't have time for it. But this morning I was watching with my son uh, all the 39 video clips on YouTube. And yeah. He loved the one from Ukraine because it was like a DJ and then a freak show, people dancing like 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 zombies <laughs> or freaks. So my son loved it. But then, it. It kind of grew on me, I have to say. My wife was looking at me. I was saying, I think I'm starting to enjoy this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, this can only be part of the Eurovision Song Festival, right? And I, I was wondering, who are your favorites? No, I, I haven't watched all all the clips like you have, so I haven't seen the the other semi-finals. But from what I watched the other night, I really liked Lithuania mm -hmm. and Cyprus were, were my my two favorites. I actually really enjoyed Croatia, and they didn't make it through either. I, I was I was got they got through, but from from my from the first semi-final, I'm going to go with Cyprus or Lithuania. Yeah. So I like the one from Portugal really, mm -hmm. uh, really a lot. So for all the Portugal listeners, uh, I have no clue um, who's betting on them and if they have any chance, but I really liked it. And I like the UK really a lot. The UK had a really, really uh, good song, but isn't it that the UK doesn't go to the semifinals, but straight to the finals? I think there are four countries, right? Germany, maybe UK. Yeah, the, the, countries, the countries that put the most money into into it, I yeah, imagine. So it must yeah. be France, Germany, UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The big country. So, and of course, Netherlands, because you won it. Oh, but this song from the Netherlands now, it's like, 
I felt like uh, they shouldn't even have submitted it. They could have stayed home. Well, they are <laughs> home, but it was so bad when I saw it. it was I mean, so bad. I mean, the guy is passionate about it. Not as good as last year. Duncan Duncan's song last yeah. year was was pretty good, but yeah, this year I don't think he stand a chance. This year, no, not at all. But the same as twenty five others. I mean, the songs he entered are so bad, <laughs> but that makes it fun. That, that really makes it fun. Okay, so let's go back then to our second passion, uh, second best passion, which is uh, investing. What caught your attention this week in the news? Yeah, a, a couple of things. So maybe Abby V, we might start with Abby V. There was some, some news on them recently regarding them inflating prices to manipulate their, their patents and, and so on. There's been a lot of talk about this in the news. I'm, I'm not overly sure why, because I know there's a lot of other companies um, that are involved in this, because I was I was doing a little bit of research on it, and I, I found an article, and at the very end, so it, it spends about 20 minutes blasting Abbey V, and then its last line says, uh, Tuesday's report follows a, sim a series of similar probes released during the fall of last year, with Bristol Myers Squibb, Teva, Novartis, Amigen. I mean, there's a whole host of companies. I, I don't believe that Abbey V are the only company to do it. Um, I know there's a Johnson and Johnson subsidiary that are in a merger with Abbey V doing doing this as well. So, um, I don't know how it's going to play out. There was no real surprise from investors. The share price didn't didn't go anywhere. So, I'm not too worried about yeah. it. To be, to be fair, what what are your thoughts on it? I'm not worried at all as well. So look, fact is that most of the big pharma take the majority of their profits and revenues from the states. Um, so if you, I watch sometimes the hearings, right? Congressional mm -hmm. hearings um, about drug prices in, in the states. And it is true, the American opinion that they subsidize for lower prices in Europe. It, it is true if you look at the profits from that point of view. Um, you know, it's also the system that America chose for, right? They don't have such a healthcare systems like in Europe, where our national countries can negotiate on, 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 on the prices. And we know already that when Trump got to office, one of the first things he said, he wants to bring down the drug prices there. They haven't succeeded in the last few years. Uh, we'll have to see whether uh, the Biden administration is a little bit more, uh, uh, I said, ready to, to take action. I think it's really hard to do something there. I think it's a really hard discussion between R&D and the investments um, going off patent, um, the value to society. I think these are really, really difficult discussions. From an EFI point of view, I think um, I see it. There's nothing special that EFI is doing. I think all the big pharmas with blockbuster drugs uh, are hiring the best legal teams in the world to uh, how you said to shield off potential competitors it's it's normal practice actually so if they do something it will not be only epi it will be the whole pharma sector that will have an issue with that because it would create a precedence um second to that with apfi we need to remember that i think it's the mira drug is being challenged by biosimilars biosimilars are not generics they require a total different production process um you cannot even copy the uh, copy um, a drug, and that's why they're called a similar and not uh, a biocopy, let's say. <laughs> so that means also um, if you submit a biosimilar, you need to have really good 
science supporting it, which makes it way more complex to um, uh, to copy the Umira drug, as example. So, and then on top of that, some legal teams. Um, yeah, it gives Apfi more opportunity to extend their um, not their patent, but their durability of the revenue stream, I guess. Um, but it will decline. Uh, so, and I think that's what's for me the biggest one, why the price is always kept around $100, $120. I bought it around $65 when they thought like uh, the world is going down with Humira going uh, off patent. I thought like, well, biosimilars aren't that easy to, uh, to introduce. And then they bought uh, Allergen, of course, with Botox. So I feel pretty confident. If there happens something, it will happen to all the big pharma in our portfolio and also Rush, Novartis and those companies because they all get a lot of sales from the United States. So yeah. I think it's industry risk. Yeah, I noticed Uncle Warren has been selling out a pharma. Does he know something is coming? Maybe there's regulation coming that, that we don't know of. I don't know. But I mean, from a personal point of view, I can understand Americans being disappointed by this. I mean, they are being ripped off technically compared to us over here in Europe for the same drug, essentially. And the prices yeah. over there are, are astronomical. But from an investor standpoint, we look at revenue growing, earnings growing, yeah. cash flow growing, and they can't do that if they don't raise prices. So yeah. from an investor standpoint, they're doing what we want them to do. But mm -hmm. from someone as a person, you you would feel bad for someone who is sick and actually needs these types of drugs. Yeah, and can't have access to the drugs, right? That yeah. 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 So I'm not too worried about Apfi. Um, um, I think it has a, a a good enough quality portfolio. The risk is priced in into the stock, so I think the risk reward is good. I don't find the buy. I don't find it a well, let's say a buy is the wrong word. I don't find it a steal at the at the moment. Then no. it should be really again in the $80 or something like that. Like now, it could be maybe for someone an entry position to start get familiar with the stock, but uh, I don't see it as cheap. And on Twitter, we had buy T under 30. Maybe we have buy Abby V under 100. Maybe that might be this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, I, I I had a little look at Cisco's earnings. I, I know you're not too keen on Cisco, and I think you've dumped them from your watch list recently. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but they they released their earnings. It's a company I'm still still watching. They had a nice quarter. Their revenue was up seven percent, um, up to I think it's twelve point eight billion. Six percent comes from product revenue and services was up eight percent. Um, earnings per share was was right on guidance. I think they were between 66 and 69 cent they hit 68 um and one thing that i noticed that their orders are up 10 percent year over year um so they had a really really nice nice quarter i still think they're a little bit overvalued from where they are i'd like them around the 40 mark um their shares have dropped because they gave lower than expecting guidance i think a lot of companies are giving lower than expected guidance based on the past year but overall a, a solid a solid quarter from but um, you already owned some uh, Cisco, or you sold them. I don't remember that. I know you like their equipment a lot as, a, as an engineer. Um, but did you own some at the moment? Yeah, I have a, I have a, sm a, a small allocation, nothing, nothing too major. I would like to add more to them, but not at the current prices. I, I, I would consider when they drop, as I said, around 40. And if they drop down yeah. to 35, 
I would I would certainly I would certainly buy a larger portion. Sorry, not to tease you, but every time when you say thirty, you mean forty, not thirty, right? <laughs> no, I meant I meant thirty. <laughs> forty. Three zero. Oh, three zero. You mean really? Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> that's that's my accent. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's why I'm asking because sometimes I'm confused where you say thirty or forty. <laughs> <laughs> Get that quite a bit. But I think, so maybe explanation why I took Cisco off the watch list. It was already for me uh, two years on the watch list. I never pulled the trigger while the price was also down. There's something that stops me from going on to Cisco. I think it is that I don't have any feeling for the brand. Uh, yes, I have a Cisco router in the house. It is a premium brand from that point of view. Uh, when I looked once into the company, I couldn't see really a strong catalyst for this company. Not not when I think about other tech companies where the digital transformation is happening. I, I have a feeling that Cisco is missing out a little bit on this with the whole cloud and everything. Uh, and the numbers actually confirm that uh, from that point of view. So maybe the stability is good. But then if I look again at, um, at the shares and how it's going, it, it just didn't entertain me. And if I have only 40 spots in my um, in my desired portfolio, then I can be picky on some of those. So I have no particular bad feelings about Cisco. It's more like, for instance, I was looking into Broadcom. I might actually then prefer Broadcom more than Cisco. Um, although with Broadcom, I still haven't made up my mind. It is an awkward business, mainly via acquisition. And then they stop the capital expenditures. They, they milk it out. And it gives me this 3G, 3G capital feeling from, um, I said that was supported by Warren Buffett and Heinz Kraft. So still need to do my homework on Broadcom further. Yeah. Okay. No, it makes sense. I can, I can completely understand that there's probably better opportunities out there. But for me, as I said, Cisco is, is a brand I'm more than familiar with. And mm -hmm. I, I can see them. I can see them doing quite well with, with 5G. Yeah. So look, time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, okay, we move on to AT and T. We we had a lot lot of buzz about this during the week. Um, our our dividend day chat with with some of the European guys has been absolutely hopping mad since this announcement. Um, with AT and T. So for those that that don't know, I'd be surprised if there's anyone that doesn't. But AT and T decided to um, merge with Discovery Inc. Um, under the terms of this agreement, they're going to be AT&T will receive 43 billion in cash, and they will then have 71% of the new company. Discovery Inc. then will have the remaining 29%. Now, I, I know you released an article pretty much straight away on this. Um, on your thoughts, you're not too keen on this merger at all. Um, yeah, that's true, but it has to do with the history before. Okay. So AT&T has a track record of acquisitions where they paid a lot for, let's say, businesses that were at least dubious when it comes to their growth profile. Um, they bought, um, I said, Time Warner for 107 billion. So it was 85 plus debt or something like that. And now they're spinning it off and getting 43 billion or so for it. Yeah, so when I start doing the math here, I think like what a shareholder destruction. Now, then you can talk, you can think about certain costs or something like that. 
But then, you know, uh, Stenky, this uh, CEO, like literally, I don't know, after the Q1 earnings or so, he, wa he was mentioning that the dividend is safe and the plans around HBO Max and everything. And then they pull this rabbit out of the head. It makes it makes just a CEO unreliable. And and if you then think about 46 billion for the assets, I think like, okay, so look at the multiples that Netflix and Disney have based on the potential or Hulu or, or these kinds of companies. Why 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 do go through all the hassle of a merger with Discovery? Why wouldn't they have sold it to Apple or something like that, the highest bidder and 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 such and make us much more wealthy with this so that's my issue you could argue now like oh they give they they, they created a cheap spin-off so we have lots of upside potential yeah uh, god knows how long it takes yeah because when you do a acquisition when apple would acquire it or such a company if they wanted you pay a premium as well because of uh synergies and such and such and here i have a feel like feeling like it's a garage sale it's like dumping it as quick as possible so from a stinky point of view, I understand that they that he wants to clean up the mess that he was handed. The, the cards that he was dealt with are not nice. Mm -hmm. But if you think about owning AT&T, I owned it for the dividends. I never really believed in 5G because the winners of 5G, or no, the winners of 4G LTE were YouTube and these kinds of uh, services. With 5G, it will be similar. In the end, AT&T will be like really high capex and they will be like utility. The main uh, beneficiaries to 5Gs are companies that might not even exist at the moment, but will become multi, multi-billion dollar companies, in my opinion, due to the new services that can, can be invented based on this. So this is what you will have with AT&T, yeah? Mm -hmm. And uh, otherwise, you would have still had something like a Disney Plus in there uh where there was quite some opportunity uh I, I went through the acquisition notes when they bought it in 2016 and remember it took them two years to go through the legal battles yeah to get governmental approval for the merger two years for shareholders with the promise that there will be more consumer um i said the at&t consumer relationship and then uh, you could have this cross-pollination cross-selling and such and now, now we learned that this was all bullshit for 60 billion of overpaid uh, based on the back of as a shareholders. So for me, it makes no sense. And it took my whole case for AT&T which I bought AT&T last summer. Yep. I bought it when it was around $29 or something like that for the yield and uh, mainly for the yields. Yeah. And not about yield chasing, but thinking like the, the risk reward is really good here for for a commodity uh, as that but with a potential up uptick in um, in time warner asset with hbo max the issue i always had with that was with the hbo max pricing really expensive compared to the competition i had a feeling they need to be so expensive because what disney plus can do they just cut the dividend as soon as they could in the pandemic they they just said to the investors say hey, the upcoming three years we are not going to um, uh, all. We are not going to really make a profit. All our money goes into Disney Plus to win the market. AT&T has never had this boldness. Yeah, but this is what they could have done. They could have even said, like upfront, like we want to beat Disney and Netflix. We are going to cut our dividend for this to create the flexibility. We need to do this. Would have been a total different story, right? Now yeah. the dividend 
uh, cut is an afterthought, like uh, not even calling it a cut, but saying like, yes, and we will still have a great uh, dividend uh, for, for, the, for our shareholders. And this is really why I uh, lost my faith. Uh, it was the nail in the coffin that uh, Stinky here is just, he's just lying to us. Yeah, he's just bloody lying to us. He's painting the grass green. He's not reading the room. Yeah. And if you're a CEO that has paid so much and you can't read the room, then you, you, you need to separate from the CEO. Yeah, I, I, I agree. There's there is some transparency issues, and we and we've seen that we, we we've come together within our group and trying to figure out the debt profile and, and where the money is going and, and trying to relate it back. And I think it was Dividend Wave who posted something that he knew about this deal in September, which if true, you should not be going out posting that you're going to be increasing dividends or, or anything like that, knowing full well that there's going to be a, a rebalancing or a, or a cut. I mean, you just say nothing or don't lie about it. So I do have an issue with that. But on, on the other hand, AT&T were crippled with debt, right? We, we know that their debt level was 170 billion, which is crazy. There's not much that they could do investors were piling in for the yield but with that high amount of debt we always knew there was a threat to that dividend we've spoke about it before we we knew that risk i don't think this deal is too bad they're reducing their debt by 40 43 billion which will bring them down to 2015 levels but they also have a 71 percent stake in this new company and this new company remember I think it's it's it'll definitely compete with Netflix. I mean, it'll generate one time one point five times their revenue straight off the bat. So I mean, they they are a beast of a company. They will be a beast of a company in in that segment. Um, so, I, I don't believe so. I don't believe so. And, just uh, just look at some of their channels. I mean, uh, looking at them and my wife watches nearly most of them and, and exclusively them. Like you have this TLC channel and I watch Eurosport, CNN, HBO. I mean, they're all pretty good channels that's, and that's one big difference between netflix and D disney that's the culture yeah and uh, you need to know that netflix and also how disney plus is being run these are tech companies yeah mm -hmm. they, they use really an agile way of uh, production of, of of managing they have a really quick time to market at&t has not proven anything of this to this us is this, this is not year. going to be run by at&t i think it's the discovery CEO going in there, isn't it? So yeah. it's 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 not coming from the AT&T perspective. I know they will have several members on the board, but it's not exclusively run the AT&T well, way. Fair point. But if you sell the company with all this content, you think that um, all the people that were in the Time Warner business will be fired and, and replaced with agile-minded people? No. <laughs> that the people are going with it. It's not just yeah. the CEO that uh, decides the culture. Yeah, as you mentioned, there'll have to be some synergies and, and they have to they have to be compatible and come together. Yeah. It, it just it won't be run exclusively like it, it has been. There will be some changes. Yeah. There will have to be some changes. Um, AT&T get the focus on what they know, which is mobile. Yeah, which is it? And, and wireless networks. But that, that's their bread and butter. They should know, know that and, and hopefully get back the challenge in T-Mobile and, and Verizon. Their debt profile will actually be a little bit better, I read, than Verizon after the deal. Who said that? I read it, no, I read it on Seeking Alpha. Um, I only browsed through it. I, I, yeah. I didn't read the whole the whole article or verify it. Um, so don't take it as, as gospel. But if mm -hmm. that's true, 
I mean, it's 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 also a good move. We spoke about EBITDA. That will be down to two point six after this deal as well, which is compared to where they are. I think it's a three point four figure. So, what for me, it's not clear. I don't know where the sixty billion is going to. Yeah, I I see that in the report they will have again a four point something billion amortization and few billions after that. Yeah. So let's say again a ten billion will be written off impairments because they overpaid. Yeah, what with all the other billions? Is all this debt going to with Time Warner to Discovery then? Because if that's the case, then we have an inflexible company there that cannot really use capital expenditures because of the high debt level. I've seen that they want to pay it off really quickly in a few years. Yeah. But they 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 those few years they shouldn't be focused on paying off with cash flow. They should be focused on spending as much as they can uh, to get the business up and running by uh, having having competitive prices for their products like seven dollars not 15 or 20 dollars that's what yeah. they should be focusing on they, i think they start with uh, 53 billion in debt as far as i know that's what the new company will have. There, there you go it means that they don't have uh, really flexibility to dump prices for for to lure in new cost customers because you need to think about the share of wallet yeah if mm-hmm. you have disney plus you have spotify you have, um, uh, how you say it, uh, Netflix. Then you have already three services for home entertainment, right? Um, uh, how much will this cost for, uh, here? Uh, for, for me, probably already uh, 30 euro altogether. Maybe, yeah? yeah. I might have still, I might be personally going to 50 euro in total. So there's 20 euro to be shared. This should be shared also with what I have interesting in is ESPN. Yeah, I want to see live sports uh, for, uh, within that 20 euro bucket. Mm-hmm. So for me to f- consider HBO Max then, it's not so attractive because I've got already Netflix. I would have uh, soon already have Disney Plus for the kids. I have Spotify. So I will be really selective on the last part of my wallet because I've been always not paying more 50 euro for ent- uh, per month for entertainment. So I don't want to pay more in this case as well. So I think th- th- this new company will have it really difficult from a global reach point of view. I'm I'm not so sure. Looking looking, like you use yourself. You maybe go for ESPN. I look at my. I don't watch too much TV, but I look at my wife. She would a hundred percent pick this over ESPN. I mean, that would go into her basket. I'm pretty sure there's a reach out there as well. I mean, these are not throwaway channels. These are channels that people. I'm, watch. I'm not saying that people are not watching it, but they will pay for them. They they will no. pay for them as well. But do you have Netflix at home? I have Netflix. Yeah. I have Spotify and. Uh, we have these channels as well. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I think mm. with Netflix and Spotify, it's kind of a given in every household. But if I yeah. if I was to lose one, it would be yeah. Netflix because we don't watch that nearly as much as mm-hmm. the rest. But that's just that's just personally. I I don't. I'm not a big TV buff anyway. So so we can say the streaming wars are on. Yeah. Um, how I look at it, right? So from this point of view, so I sold my shares. Uh, why? One so, so a small position. Um, I don't sell necessarily straight away after a dividend cut, but the dividend cut is a big red flag for me. And in 80% of the cases, it leads to a dividend cut, uh, a sell for me. Yeah. Unless there's a, I really thought that the management was doing the necessary steps here with a lot of growth potential behind it. So I don't see that here. I see smoke and mirrors from management. Um, I don't understand the whole track record from the last five years. I don't understand it um the the terms around the deal are not so clear uh, still so okay they need to work out 
So the only thing that I have in my mind, um, I don't need I don't need only a pure play uh, wireless uh, telecom uh, thing here with less dividend. I don't need it. If there's anything, I might in two three years from now consider buying this new company if I want to do something in the streaming wars mm -hmm. and if I see something positive there. But then I don't need to own it now uh, with the spin-off. I can buy it once they start proving that they are um, indeed that I'm wrong about them. Yeah? yeah, and then I would consider it. But then again, I would have it as part of the 10% growth portfolio of mine because I'm a dividend investor. There, nothing about no certainty that that will pay dividends. So, you know, it wouldn't even fit in my portfolio. And if I think about uh, my growth part percent of the portfolio, I prefer Google, Alibaba. Course, uh, so for me, there's no value at all in keeping keeping the shares from that point of view. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it. The details of this new company were very vague, a little bit too vague. But I'm not I'm not selling it. I want to wait and see. I mean, this is not going to take place until one year mm -hmm. from now. So I can still collect whatever dividend that they have now. They're not going to cut it before then. Yeah. Um, while they sort that out and see how this new company play out get more details a little bit more mm -hmm. understanding um as i said I, I think it was a, a huge overreaction from from investors and but i understand if your thesis was to buy buying for the yield and distribute that 100 percent understand but i mean we had to understand the huge debt load that this dividend was always in jeopardy they they couldn't keep raising it they were borrowing to raise it at some point so it makes sense for them to cut it back. They might now give it, do like a Royal Dutch Shell and cut it back and to be able to grow it slowly again. Um, but for me, it's just too early to sell. I just want to wait. Um, I'm still going to get my, my high yield for the next year while I'm waiting. But what would you like to see, uh, EMF? What, what do you need to see to, to confirm your decision? I mean, the, the new company... I... What is it that interests you in the new company? I'm really bullish in that space. And as you said, I'm not a growth investor. I'm not, and I don't know how to how to value companies, but I'll be getting these shares for free and they'll just sit there um, and I can evaluate how they go. I, I do see them challenging Netflix. I really do, based on their channels and stuff like that. And Netflix do quite well. Um, so I'm willing, to, I'm willing to wait. I, I estimated AT&T's share price will drop to about $20, $21 maybe after this um which is look my average price is 35 so it's a bit of a drop for me but i could probably make that back with the new company so but then I'd, in that I'd, case you're looking more at it from a value investment point of view than a dividend investment point of view right the, the new company yes and and if at&t if they use that money wisely and pay off their debt like they say they will and are a little mm -hmm. bit more transparent and we get an understanding if they drop to 20 I estimate that the yield will be about four to five percent based on their cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, Twenty, uh, that might be a little bit optimistic in my view. But if it's four or five percent, I may even double up and buy another hundred shares. I'm still getting a decent yield, um, and I'm waiting to see. But no. there's, there's a whole year to play out, and and a lot of things can happen before before. So I, I'm not in a rush to sell at at this moment. Yeah. So for me. Um... I could have used this reasoning if I would have had more trust in the management. I, I, I have a feeling here a little bit like the old or the Stevenson or what was the name before Stinky? 
<laughs> Stinky cracks me up. <laughs> uh, he, he sounds to me like Jeff Immelt, and this new CEO seems to be uh, seems to me like the the successor of uh, Jeff Immelt, who got all this mess handed over. And um, uh, it's not a fair comparison because with General Electric, it smelled like fraud. Even uh, I wouldn't say that here. But I have the same feeling uh, here that the management is not trustworthy. And I'm wondering how many dead bodies are more in the closet also around the debts. Because this is what I'm feeling. Direct TV, you know, uh, what did they get? 60 billion to 16 or yeah, something like yeah. that? I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, the, and here the same, right? This is also shareholder destruction. Ma management before have, have dealt yeah. Stanky a really bad hand. And yeah. He's to be to give him credit. He's he's trying his best to generate value for shareholders and 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 all the rest of it. I am like you. I have an issue with the transparency, and that's my major concern as well. I'd like mm -hmm. him to be a little bit more transparent. I mean, we we got the details of this merger, and I, I yeah. still don't know much about the new company. We look back at the 2016 press release. You had all the details laid out of when they were making an acquisition. Yeah. Um, quite easily to follow so that's my biggest issue with them at the moment is is that but yeah and i have just one question and maybe a listener knows um if someone could explain this to me if they purchased time warner for 107 including that and they now spin it off for 43 where did the 60 go to where because the uh, the the write-offs if i remember correctly on the goodwill in the last year they were related to direct tv so this money needs to end up on one of the two companies' balance sheets. But is that not going to be transferred over as part of the, the debt on the new company? Yeah, but then, but but do shareholders know that? I yeah, don't because know. if that goes all into the new company, this is a heavily debt-loaded uh, company. Because what you're telling me then, if they get it merged for 43 plus they get 60 billion debt on top of it, I know that they mentioned about the high debt to EBITDA ratio, right? Yeah. But they're talking here to me in ratios. They are not talking here to me in where did this debt go to? Where's the, the shareholder wealth that we've lost? Where did it went to? Because in a balance sheet, it doesn't go up into thin air. Yeah. So it needs to move somewhere. And I would like to see in the books where it's moving. I, I would like to have that clarity. Yeah. Because it's really important. If you if you want to stay in because of the the new company you need to have a really really good sign on the debt profile because the debt profile depends uh, decides on their flexibility to compete in this war with netflix and disney plus and all the others yeah of course so this is what i would need to know and i didn't get a, i didn't get this out of it i didn't read it maybe it is then there that someone who's really understanding these numbers can tell me but then please reach out to me i would love to learn more about it it's a bit an afterthought because i've sold already because of uh, the transparency but yeah i'm really curious about where that debt yeah. is moving to i mean it's it's caused quite a debate hasn't it and and even within some groups we've had loads that have been selling holding some have actually bought more and um, so i am i'm curious to hear our listeners reaction to it are you buying are you selling why what's the bull case what's the bear case um and let's see how how it plays out but uh, certainly big news and not what <laughs> not what investors were expecting um on tuesday yeah. 
But this is what investing makes nice, right? Actually, I don't know how it's for you, but I have a passion for investing. And these are the kind, these are the kinds of things that are for me popcorn worthy. Yeah. To to listen to, to watch. It really makes me exciting. Even to talk and get involved yeah. in different groups, opinions, because you, you, that's that's when you learn. You when, Yeah, exactly. When you, when you invest in something and it goes to the moon, or you, you don't learn anything. The, these are these are the moments you learn as an investor, and you're going to exactly. make a choice, and we'll all look back in two years, and we can say, okay, you did this, you did this, and, and we learn from it. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm looking forward for IBM now, right? Also with the spin-off and... Uh... Yeah. So uh, crappy company. It, it just seems all. <laughs> Here comes the rant. <laughs> but, no, uh, no, but it's 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 interesting. I mean, a lot of companies seem to be following this route now, don't they? Of of spinning off. So, well, um, interesting times. And um, um, they said investing is easy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. No, great chat. Um, we might move on to the listener questions now. And we have one from Phil. Question number one. Did you ever consider using leaps, which are long-term running options, as a leveraging tool to buy stocks? Um, yes, I did it a few times. Um, I didn't even know that they were called leaps. But what I sometimes do is that when a company is really, really, really down, like like severely down and i feel like this is once in a multi-year opportunity like like i had one time with shell with unilever or with uh, abv at 60 or something like that what i could do is write a put option for one and a half year out because at those moments you sometimes can collect them with a premium of 10 to 15 20 percent Yes, so uh, if you then suddenly get 500 bucks in your uh, for premium and you know you would definitely buy them still at that price a year later. Uh, so yeah, I do that. It happens once a year maybe. And uh, sometimes it's like half of the revenue as trader I generate from my whole uh, option trades in the, in the whole year. So yes, I do it. Um, the issue with that only is a little bit that your money is locked, right? Uh, because of the margin it's uh, at, at, at one of my brokerage accounts. But that that's generally okay, because if you think about it, the return on investment on that money is then also really high. And you don't often need to wait a whole year before selling. So often the, the prices in these stocks, what, what we know, right? Usually they move quite significantly on good news after a positive quarter. And it sets it for the whole quarter going forward. And then sometimes you see an option price. If you sold a put, put option, I, I'd say something for 400 euro. Yeah, you would see it suddenly drop to 100 euro. And you can sell it. You don't need to wait still nine months to, uh, for, for it to go from 100 euro to zero. No, you can just take the 300 profit uh, after three months already. So yes, I do it from time to time, but only on really really good opportunities because usually my options that i trade are between three and nine months forward i don't really trade on a month-to-month -month basis but three to nine it's not something that i have done with my dividend portfolio um i have started option trading on on a separate portfolio but i like to keep them separate so um i i haven't done done that yet so okay thanks phil um odysseys asked us the second question and he asked us on annual meetings do you guys usually vote for or against the company 
reporting lobby act activities on areas such as climate lobbying or shareholders proposing reports on sugar and public health, for example, Coca-Cola. I um, find it here we don't get these kinds of rights to vote or not, not how you said. I guess our shares are not registered. Mm -hmm. um, other, you know, I don't even have the time to do all of this. So maybe that's a yes or no. The only thing that I'm usually particularly interested in is the CEO pay. So I'm the person that if they didn't perform, they shouldn't get a bonus. Yes. If they performed really well, they should get two, three times their bonus. So for me, it's kind of all or nothing. I'm totally fine, for instance, if let's say that the known CEO, the new one would come in and if he would get, um, I said, bring brings this, um, the known back to normal, grows 15% per year, and he uh, he turns it from a 58 euro company per share into 100 in two years, I would say give him 10, 10 euro from this in bonus or five day, make him straight away a billionaire or something like that because he creates so much shareholder wealth. I'm, I'm such a person when it's sustainable growth, right? Sustainable yeah. growth. Um, but if they don't perform like, like stinky and, and those guys, they should not get a pay from me. Yeah. Um, it, it, because if they want to be a CEO, act in a capitalistic system, we need to treat it as a capitalist uh, and not as a socialist for me. In, in, in theory, that sounds okay, but then you, you go down the road of incentivizing CEOs based on shareholder value, so share price and, and, and so on comes into play, um, and all sorts of tricks can, can come out to inflate prices. Um, I had an interesting conversation with someone that... Um, with a company that I won't mention it in case they, they don't they don't want me to say it, but a company that we talk about quite a bit where their tradition beforehand was to incentivize based on performance like that. And what it led to was poor ethics, bad behavior, in, inflating prices and, and poor practices all around. Um, and now they've switched away from that, trying to switch away from that into, into a a different approach into maybe ESG components or something, but I mean, I, I, I get I get it, but it's a dangerous road to incentivize CEOs based on shareholder authority. You have a good point there. I would do it. Um, I would only use incentives that are hundred percent aligned with my uh, selection criteria for a company. So ten uh, percent dividend growth or seven percent dividend growth over the last five years. Uh, a debt to equity lower than 60%. Um, I said the interest expense coverage of, uh, I don't know, more than uh, three. Uh, what do we have more? Oh yeah, payout ratio lower than 60% uh, for dividend and uh, for both earnings and cash flow. So I would use those metrics only um, uh, for, for doing the reward because then it's perfectly aligned with me. Uh, I look also for dividend safety. So it means the dividend would be safe. And then the share price is, of course, a result of that. So, yeah. yeah. I'm sure companies will, will queue up and sign up for that kind of process. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be boring for most of that, for, for other investors that want to make a quick buck. Exactly. Okay. Uh, thanks for that question, Odysseys. Um, four dividends have asked us, in the wake of tea, do you think more companies should adopt the European approach of more closely linking period results with the dividend rather than borrowing the pay the dividend 
Uh, I'm never a fan of pay, uh, borrowing for paying dividends. Uh, it's for me always a red flag if I see this. I don't like it. The low interest environment has definitely not helped with um, this. So yes, I generally agree with with for dividends. They should be more closely linked to the earnings, but I really don't like the European dividend culture of uh, paying out 30 to 40% of the earnings because you don't have income stability. What I like about the American culture is that there is a lot of income stabilities, income stability. Um, but I don't think you need, you don't need to go into debt for that. I think debt makes companies lazy to, uh, because they could have better spend it on innovation, this money. And innovation is a more sustainable way to grow dividends for me, but it's not a quick, quick uh, fix for companies. And, you know, it's easier for a CEO to not take the risk on innovation, but just buy back shares or, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, share, shareholder pressure comes into it as well. If they're expecting a dividend increase, it, it, it can be huge. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, if a company has to borrow to pay the dividend, they can't afford a dividend. So don't yeah. do it. What I do like in European companies that they are not afraid to keep the dividend flat for a few years. Yeah. Some of them. And, and that's and what I would like American companies to do more. It it makes a European company that can grow consistently over two decades, three decades, it's impressive because you know that they are growing their top line, their bottom line, and, and you know that it is yeah. truly a solid company because yeah. otherwise they, they will not pay it. So I, I, I don't I don't mind I don't mind the European way um we can be a little bit quick to to call it sometimes um income stability is is huge but I, I, I it's a better way of thinking than than the likes of ibm rg where they just yeah no. much better yeah, no okay um russ from dapper dividends asked us if you could interview any person alive or dead who would it be uh julius caesar Nice. I I probably go with <laughs> Albert Albert Einstein or someone like that. Someone someone who created a lot of stuff. I just want to get inside our mind. Wow. How 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 did they come up with it? Are you even like Edison, Thomas Edison, these types yeah. of people. Okay. Uh, lots of questions on tea as we expect. Um, where is at European DGI reinvesting T's money and what are you going to do at uh, EMF? So I haven't made up my mind yet, but it will be a high yielder again, because if I look at my portfolio, I've got a, low, a lot of low yielders, high growth. And that's why I had T to have a little bit high, high yield, low growth. So I put a post on Twitter, a tweet on Twitter, what are the high yielders the other day? So this weekend, I will collect all the answers and I will look at some of those tickers, screen them, see what, what stays behind after screening them. And based on that, I might actually select one or two. So I decided to crowdsource this one already a while ago, and I will use that data now to uh, make up my mind. Nice. As, as, as you know, I'm, I'm holding my, my shares now, so I'm not doing anything. I would imagine Eli Snowball is reinvesting his into Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes, Eli Snowball is like Coca-Cola to the moon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Nice. Uh, thanks, Eli. 
Um, Juan has asked us our opinion on Baba and its future. I mean, I have no opinion. I, I know you have shares, so you can take this one away. Uh, look, I've got an opinion on everything. We're an opinion show. We're not a, how you said, we're not some talking heads uh, investment analysts, right? We have opinions. So regarding Alibaba, I like it a lot. Um, I see the regulatory risk not different than the uh, US regulatory risk. We just spoke about AppFi today and, and the power that the American government has on, on companies. Um, uh, for me, the Chinese government, American government is not that much different from a regulatory risk point of view. Of course, uh, how they treat society, I think I lean more towards American society and American government uh, here with freedom and such. But when we look at regulatory risk, I don't know why, why Americans are so afraid of investing in Chinese stocks, because I have this feeling all the time with American stocks, like just this needs to happen. And, and look at Volkswagen with diesel uh, gate and such. If there's one, one, one country that has a really strong regulatory uh, body, it's America. In Europe, we never get to give something a fine. We first need to discuss with 20, 27 states to align on something. <laughs> yeah. So America uh, has a lot of regulatory risk to stocks, um, uh, maybe more easier influenced by lobbyists compared to China. So for me, from that point of view, it's priced in this regulatory risk. But Alibaba is just a growth machine. Yeah. And I really, if you look, do a discounted cash flow uh, analysis. I think it's just really undervalued regarding its future. That's always for me hard to answer because I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, this business is like Amazon and maybe even bigger com compared to its services. It's really, really hard to analyze, um, let's say their future potential. I also don't know the market well enough. So I'm leaning here towards historical performance and you don't easily go from a 30% growth to suddenly a minus 30% growth. Yeah, so with a 10-15% growth per year, I consider the price is still undervalued for Alibaba. And this is for me a classic example of where um, the market sentiment is really bad. And sometimes those are just good um, uh, situations to buy. So I bought on the dip at $208. I bought some shares in my 10% growth portfolio. So full disclosure, I find them undervalued. Um, but I understand that also if you if you can't deal with the uncertainty around China and what it's doing to the stocks, you need to stay away. Just if you don't trust it, don't invest in it. Yep. Very good. Um, the last question, <laughs> we got this uh, quite a few times actually. Do you have a closing rant on AT&T? No, not not really. I think I gave my opinion already. Um, I think uh, I said I'm just. I, I always get disappointed by, C by CEOs that are just lying in plain sight. And and this is kind of maybe my closing remarks that I want to give. If CEOs are painting the grass green like this, putting the dividend cut as an afterthought, not even give cutting it a dividend, uh, calling it a dividend cut, and you know that majority of your shareholders are in it for the dividends, then you either need to go to a shrink to let yourself being tested, whether you're literally uh, can apply for, for being an idiot, yeah, or, or you should just speak the truth. I mean, what, what, he's, what he's saying, he's not treating us like adults. Yeah, and this is what I don't like. This is for me, this like, this 
all boy network uh you know the the, yeah. the ivy league 60 plus great people that think they own the world i get such kind of feeling with this give me uh john ledger from uh, t-mobile uh from from america that's the ceo who's for me an exemplary ceo of having honesty in the shareholder and the customer at the forefront i would love to see more ceos like that and thinking disqualified okay uh, I, I have a question then based on that Albert uh, krishna or john stanky <laughs> Okay, then at least thank you, uh, because uh, he's actually doing something. Yeah, the bookkeeper from IBM is <laughs> is not doing anything. Yeah, he did a spin-off, and how did they call it, actually? Oh, I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember. that says enough. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't inspire with a name even of a spin-off. So it was a really awkward name, Kriggy or something like that. Yeah, the K, or... I can't <laughs> No, but then I would choose for Stinky over uh, Krishna. Kindrel, it's called. Kindrel. Kindrel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, th that was the last question. Um, thanks to everyone, as always. We love getting the questions. It was a little bit short notice this time because we recorded a day earlier. Um, so we do appreciate all questions. Um, thanks again, EDJoy, for your insights. It's it's been a pleasure. This was this was a fun one. Um, we didn't get the full hurricane that, that people were expecting, but we were getting a little bit of a rant, so I'm sure our, our, um, <laughs> our followers will be happy. Super. Everyone, have a great weekend, and see you and hear you next week again. And, uh, you know, keep, keep being engaged. I really love our community. It's really a great bunch. If you want to join the community, if you're, we know that many people listen to the shows, uh, here we get sometimes emails but if you also want to be part of the community on twitter or something like that just reach out to me or to emf and we'll make sure we uh, include you it's really a lot of fun okay see you see you next week